roll that beautiful bean footage. Woohoo! Speaking of rolling that beautiful bean footage, <laughs> Facebook. Here we go, guys. Here, here, here we go. You're listening to the Fade to Bay Network. <laughs> we invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Through nuanced conversations and forward thinking and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Ow. Ow, ow, ow. We what need to redo up? that. Why do we need to redo that? <laughs> because I said so. <laughs> Okay. Anyway. Let's get some voices we recognize on. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I like see what you're saying. Voices, but okay, <laughs> we probably should. We probably should update a few things, like have a website again. But now is not the time to talk about <laughs> yeah. that as we're introducing our guest. And what an interesting and provocative uh, title you put on there, Chris. I noticed as we were going live. So. Well, I mean, it is the reason why we wanted her to come on. So, yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I want to welcome... Noelle Fitchett, who is the host of uh, the Out of Context podcast. Uh, she is a libertarian, apparently. We're going to find out a little bit more about that. Uh, she also has gotten into a little bit of trouble on TikTok for her <laughs> views. Um, and, and in fact, that's actually how I came to uh, to know of Noelle in the first place was her TikTok, which, by the way, Elizabeth, I've got a bone to pick with you because I've been spending way too much time over there. It's like addictive I know. Absolutely Why are addictive. you picking bones with me? It's uh, that's your problem. Well, you were the first one to to go over there and get started on it. I mean, us 38, blame, blame 40 year olds. Me. If, I think you need to take If you're blaming me for that, I'm blaming him for that. Omar for that because Whoa. I've never seen Omar on TikTok. <laughs> I'm not even on TikTok. No, what are you talking because about? Because <laughs> he said that we need to get on TikTok so that we can make our podcast known. So I got on to try and make our podcast known and then you did it. And anyway, and you got to take responsibility for as much time as you spend on that thing. Exactly. Well, I know right. it's hard. I need to do the same thing. You know, me we, and my new liberal mindset, I have to blame everybody else for my own problems. So well, uh, <laughs> that's new. That's new Chris? For, for me, for me. So <laughs> anyway, we, we are excited to have Noel here. Noel, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not every day you get to go on a podcast and have people who may not agree with you, um, you know, have a conversation. So I think it's going to be good. Um, one thing that we always like to do at Fade Degree is make sure that we uh, are polite with each other. We think there's a lot of room for nuance. We think there's a lot of room for the um, fun polite views. I was going to say is that so that I'm polite to you, Chris, because I just pissed you off or like what I mean what is. <laughs> what i mean is is that we're not canceling each other okay all right oh, oh, so oh, okay okay for, for for our differences of opinions um which used to be a lot broader i think but fade to gray has really kind of dwindled down <laughs> our mindset here with the uh loss of you know the the nine hosts that we used to have so <laughs> 29 hosts the 29 hosts 29 <laughs> so a lot of things if you listen to fade to gray at all what we really like to do is allow the guests to tell their story and so yep. far the only thing that i know about you know well is that you are a, a person of color and that you don't think white privilege exists and you have a TikTok that blew up because of that. So I'm, you, I'm sure there's a lot more to who you are. Um, but let's unpack this. Like, uh, so, so yeah. Um, hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> 
tell us a little bit about your story. We want to know who you are. Like, uh, that's not a question. Right. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, so so I'm I'm Noelle. I'm from Los Angeles, California. I've been born and raised here all my life. Um, I work in East LA. I work at a nonprofit. So yeah, so it's cool. My dad's from South Central, so my family's been here for a long time. Um, No, Cheech Marin. No. Is he in LA? <laughs> I mean, he, he he has movies about East LA. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm in Montebello, so I'm like on the very tip. So most of the stuff, like musicians and stuff that I know are from more where my dad grew up. But um, but yeah, I love it. Um, I mentor, I do a, a program for kids, for girls who um need mentoring and guidance. And we talk about everything under the sun from college to relationships. It's great. Um, and I'm a student. And I actually, fun fact, I last year, I was actually pretty left-leaning and I believed in white privilege. I actually was debating it and posting about it. So I was a huge believer and supporter of it. Um, I'm a philosophy major, so most of the stuff that I study is critical race theory, intersectionality, all of those fun topics. Um, And then I changed my mind uh, in the heat of things last summer. And I realized how much of an impact those beliefs had and had an impact on my life, my academic performance, my mentality, my mental health. And so after I had discovered a lot of new information and changed my mind on a lot of things, um, I started speaking about it because I wanted other kids to hear uh, an alternative view that they hadn't been hearing yet. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Um, there's a lot more, but I'm like, I don't want to rant for too long. So we'll kind of talk more later. No, yeah, that's definitely gave us some stuff to, to peel back. Um, so how old are you, Noel? First question. I'm 22. 22. So just a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't you love it when like, you know, boomers and Gen like Z people are just like, oh, just a We're baby. We're Gen X. Gen X. Well, whatever <laughs> I am. Actually, technically... I'm also a millennial because I bumped back, bumped it back to like 1980 or something. Like, so I still for, disagree with that because yeah. we're definitely not millennials. Yeah, I'm not a millennial. Sorry, we're upper 30s and 40, early 40s. And, and, you, so and you, see, you see how she said that so with like know. disdain? Like, both, both of these people are just like, oh, millennials. But I love millennials. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. They're my favorite people. So, it, it, anyway, so, so yeah, 20, we know. 22, uh, Noel, <laughs> and uh, you said you, you have a. <laughs> You have a group where you help, uh, did you say, was it uh, young women or men or mentor, you're mentoring? Um, how do you, what's that called and how are you doing that um, even like right now during COVID? Is it um, an online yeah. pre- presence or is it something that you're doing locally in your community? So we actually recently took a break, so we haven't done it during COVID. Um, That's not really because of COVID. We just went on a break and then it happened to be that COVID happened. But uh, my mom actually started it. So my mom grew up without a dad in her life. She didn't really have many resources. Both of my parents actually come from a single parent household. And um, so my mom started this program to help young girls. And so we have different speakers come in that talk about college, that talk about advice. It's at a church. It's a nonprofit. It's a free program. And so basically I'd work with the junior hires. We'd talk about topics. We'd hang out. And it was just, I'm a first-gen college student. So they could ask me lots of questions that they probably were experiencing. So um, that's the, I was part of that program from 2017 to um late 2019 and then we took a break like literally right before COVID started that's when we took our break and then COVID happened so we haven't had it since 
Wow. And, and at the, the college that you're at, uh, you said that you used to debate critical race theory and all this stuff. So would you say that uh, that's something that's a, a pretty prevalent ideology on campus? Is that something that uh, is being, um, I guess, parroted from your instructors and stuff? Yeah, very much so. I think every single class that I've taken in my philosophy class, even carrying on to my other humanities classes, um, there's not one course that goes that happens without the mention of something regarding critical race theory or intersectionality. It's kind of just embedded into every single class. And even in society, even in church, I've seen a lot of churches kind of take on critical race theory as well. Can you kind of maybe define what that is for people who, who don't know what critical race theory is? Yeah, so I might be a little biased now, but uh, critical <laughs> race theory, it's its a long, uh, it, it's a paper, a book, I guess. But um, for, for us as philosophy students, we had to read it. And basically, it's talking, it basically views the world in the lens of there is an oppressor and a person who is oppressed and how um, how things in life impact both of their lives and how the oppressor has basically it's sort of advantage because of things in life. So that would kind of trickle into white privilege um, and different benefits that that oppressor has. So it, it views and it tries to dismantle those things by acknowledging systems that we have set in place in society. But a lot of crit critiques that I've seen with critical race theory on both the left and the right is that it doesn't offer enough solutions, kind of just points out all of the flaws within society. Um, but I guess the best way to summarize it is that it views the world and society in a lens of oppressor and then oppressee. So, so the looking white through person that would be the oppressor. I'm sorry. The white person would be the oppressor in that ideology. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Sorry, Elizabeth, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. I lost my train of thought now. But um, so, well, you kind of asked the question, though. Let me think about this. Sorry. Ask another question because I completely lost what I was thinking. Well, I actually am really curious about your transition and what the heck happened. Because it <laughs> seems like you were, you know, you obviously had to have really thought those things because you were debating them. And then there was a switch that happened. What was the catalyst for that? Um, I think for me, so in the height of the Black Lives Matter protests and everything that was going on during the summer, that kind of sent me down a rabbit hole. And I think also I had more time on my hands because of COVID. I was in quarantine, uh, so I had more time to look into things. And I started listening to people like Thomas Sowell. I came across him on a podcast. He was a guest on a podcast. And um, he just really opened my eyes to a bunch of new perspectives. People like Larry Elder, who are both considered classical liberals, libertarians. Um, and they're just, they really started opening up my, my eyes. But kind of what sent me into that and to finding out about those two people was I was actually talking to uh, a family member and I was telling them how white privilege is real and how it impacts minorities. And I was just, I was set in my ways. And I realized that I, there was a common, um, a common theme with all of my statistics and all of my evidence was it kept coming back to wealth. And so I started to realize that for what I had learned with the evidence and with the new found information that I had was receiving was that the common factor to white privilege see more about wealth. It seemed more of a wealth privilege than a skin privilege. And so that's what set me, that's what catalyzed, like was the catalyst in my whole discovery. Okay. Okay. 
That that makes sense. Um, I was sitting here listening to um, your story, and you know, Chris asking questions about you know white privilege and and the whole setup of it not existing, and I'm like, okay, I I got all kinds of questions for this girl, but um, what, with what you just said, I 100% agree. And um, I am so much for fading to gray. No, just uh, sorry. (laughs) I'm looking forward to having this conversation because it's. I've often wanted to try to articulate it because I I do support Black Lives Matter, and I still uh, proudly will support Black Lives Matter. But it's not. I don't support it financially. I don't support it as far as like an entire like the entire movement as a whole like what i I don't think that defunding the police is the answer or the solution that we're a terrible idea right and so like but i i do recognize that there is a problem with you know black or brown people seeming to get the brunt force of a lot of police brutality where i mean but at the same time I also noticed the same thing is it seemed to be more of a social economic thing where it was because there's white people who live in black or brown neighborhoods or in, in poor communities and more, more came down to finance. You know, it had nothing to do with really the color of your skin. If, if you don't have money, then you're not looked at. You looked as, as nothing and you can be treated that way. Um, through the court systems and you're just another number statistic and white boy rick and and neither side whether it be democrat or republican or probably even libertarian but they haven't had a chance to prove us wrong yet but like as far as uh, like care about us you know it it really they don't care about the people that are putting them into in power and um, i think for what you're doing um, with your podcast for that reason i i do agree i don't agree with a lot of things that you have to say and i probably we can unpack some more of this <laughs> um right white privilege thing because i definitely think that um it is easier in life to get by if you were born into the right family um and a lot of that has to do with money but it also has to do um with sometimes with the, it, the color of your skin it just has i've had experiences even in my light olive colored skin where they're not really sure who, who, what I am, um, and with my white family and everything. So like I, it's, and I even heard you tell in your own testimony, um, you know, stories where you were, had somebody's, you know, like basically tell you that you were too dark, um, as you were growing up and how that affected you. Um, but how then can you have these lived experiences and, and see this and then say, no, white privilege doesn't exist at all where I would, I would agree. It doesn't exist to the point of where like maybe the left is trying to make it exist, but it's still a problem and it still exists and it still can be acknowledged that like there's, there's hangover from racism exists. So. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes actually from Thomas Sowell says that um, 
racism let me i don't want to butcher it so i have it right in front of me it says racism is not dead but is on life support kept alive by politicians race hustlers and people who get a sense of superiority by denouncing others as said racist and that is my favorite quote because um and i'm sure as we continue to talk but i definitely don't believe that there is a skin color racial bias within the policing system i do think that it impacts people of lower income which tend to be minorities but I don't think that treatment is solely based off of the color of my skin simply because I learned some statistics that I realized, oh, I'm more likely to die from the wind than I am a cop. Um, but we'll talk more about that later. But um, but for me, that's that uh, that's a common that was again, I went from going from desiring to go to a BLM protest to now I'm an intern uh, for Blexit. And so it's. It, it basically gears to help minority communities, specifically the black community, but it's just on the other side of the spectrum. So I, I'm heavily involved with Black. It's just a different way of viewing uh, issues in our world. Is that like black exit? Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit more about what is that? So Blexit, so I'm directly involved in their student program. Uh, so they have Blexit student um Blexit student members, which basically we come on, we intern for the program and the program is, it emphasizes on, it shifts the mentality from a victim mentality to a victor mentality. And I can attest personally, when I had a a victim mentality, my mental health was on a decline and my academic performance, it really impacted me as a person. And so when minorities learn that they're a victor and that they're not a victim, it totally shifts their whole entire life. So that's a big mission of Blexit that you're a victor, not a victim. The second thing is entrepreneurship. We're super big as an organization um, that I get to be part of. They emphasize on entrepreneurship. Uh, They had a a series on how to start your own business, how to start your own nonprofit, uh, giving you all the resources, the documents, everything. Um, Also, um, uh, the family unit and how important the nuclear family is. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, both of my parents came from dysfunctional households who didn't have fathers, really impacted their life. So it really emphasizes on entrepreneurship, uh, victor mentality, the family unit, and they do a lot of community work, constantly involved in the community, helping the community. So there's chapters all over the United States, and uh, it was fun. It was started by Candace Owens and Brandon Tatum. So it's really great. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I, I was going to ask you about Candace Owens a little bit later on, but okay. So let me ask you this because you're talking about it being a wealth issue, not a, a race issue or not a skin color issue. Would you disagree or agree that the distribution of wealth leans more towards white people due to the privilege that they had of getting to own land uh, in coming over and colonizing this area uh, as opposed to Native Americans that were kicked out of their homes uh, or African people who were brought against their will and forced to um, assimilate. Uh, and, and then they, of course, weren't given land. So don't you think that there's like a disproportionate uh, distribution of wealth there? Well, when it comes to just the distribution of wealth, I also like to take into consideration the percentage of each race in our population. So about 70% of our population is white. So that kind of explains why more white people would have more money. There's more white people. But at the same time, one of the things mm-hmm. I that like to That explains it more than the fact that they were given land like after wars. I, or, and then, or took it. Yeah. I think it also because when we look at if, if we were to say that it's a present like current day 
issue, then I would like to look at the median household income by race. And so the median household income by race for white people is roughly about 60000 a year. And you look at, for example, Filipinos. Uh, I'm not Filipino, but like my friends who are Filipino, they're super tan. Uh, so if you're looking at strictly skin color, um, my, my dad is extremely a lot darker than I am. Uh, so you look at these racial groups and you look at their skin color, but Filipinos make roughly 80000 uh, a year for their median household income. So when you look at white people who make 60,000, Filipinos who make 80,000, Filipinos are obviously a lot more tan. So to say that it's a skin color issue doesn't really line up with, well, why is it that Filipinos can be successful? But I get asked, well, why don't you look at the brown and black community? Well, again, that's a plethora of other issues. But why I emphasize on the Chinese and Filipino communities is because they are successful and they've proven to be successful despite them being a person, people of color. So. So you're, I want to, I want to be respectful about this and, and, you know, I, I'm so happy that you're here and that we're having this conversation because I think it is important. Are you saying that it doesn't really matter what happened, you know, 300 years ago, it's really all about what's happened you know, now it's what's happening now, like kind of like, well, that was 300 years ago, you know, things have changed. And I'm trying to get, uh, I guess, wrap my head around the idea that that doesn't make a difference, like what happened back then. I don't, I would never dismiss what happened in the past, um, because definitely a lot of bad things happened. Um, and for example, my dad's side of the family lost a lot of his family records because of racism and, and real oppression. And I like to say real because my experience does not even compare to that of my grandmas and my ancestors. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, so I definitely think it has, those things were tragic. They were terrible. And, but now in today's society, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. There's nothing in society that is limiting my success to a white person nothing that I found. So I don't want to dismiss and devalue the things that my ancestors and other people have gone through in the past. But at the same time, looking in the present society, I don't see anything that is currently that is currently holding back minorities other than our own work ethic and our own determination. Mm. If that makes sense. I mean, yeah. It does. Does it make sense? I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> I have heard, I've heard all these arguments before. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm like as far as that goes, and and I'm like Chris said, I'm, I'm very happy to have the conversation, but I'm trying to figure out, especially like on this topic, where I agree. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it, it's getting harder. Um, like uh, as far as like um just thinking about even like police reform, like the fact that like, we're willing to acknowledge that there's a problem with brutality and lower income, you know, like, and it maybe it's not because of racism. Maybe it's because of bad training. Maybe it's because of bad accountability. Maybe it's because of corruption that's been going on for ages, you know, since the, the, the start of, a, a police you know like and so the idea of like it being about the community and should be protecting the community and the community shouldn't be fearful of of their own you know, like 
people that are supposed to be protect and serve. So like mm-hmm. that whole idea, there's something that's incredibly broken, whether it's, you know, like I'm with Chris and, you know, with you, I believe with like, you know, the media is always spinning a story and is always is creating the us versus them. And I know that focusing on race isn't the answer. And that's why like, I love, love to have these type of conversations because like, I, I know that, that saying, Hey, like, but it's not going to get rid of racism by focusing on racism. It, it's never worked, but um, there is still like the gaps. Like you're talking about the Filipinos using that as an example of like, but it's, that's almost like an, an outlier. It's not, that's not the norm. That's not. And so like, maybe we can look at that community and what are they doing to be successful and apply it to other areas of people that are um, minorities. But there are so many other factors that are going on as far as like even applying, getting for loans, like different stuff to say, Oh, it's all on you and how, how you're, how you live your life. Like you got the prison systems that like are full of black and brown like men that and so like and, and people are, are left in these communities with no options and, and it's, but it's like oh but it's on you to you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and yes and i and i and that's why i say i like i, I applaud like like blexa even though i don't agree with everything that they're doing there's some stuff that i really do agree with as far as the community outreach and things service that's happening i wish that blm was actually doing more stuff like that and not just a political movement to try to like stir things up like i wish that they were actually like i like i like the protest but i also would love to see more things like plexit's doing in the community so like i think there is a fade to gray there where i can kind of like there's some common ground but i'm still my mind's still a little blown. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> in, in terms of when you mentioned the income, that was my bad. I only gave you one example. So I, sh- I to be fair, I should give you more or else it's totally an outlier, which I agree. Um, so Indian Americans actually make roughly $110,000 a median household income. Um, again, Filipinos, 80,000. Uh, Pakistani, 80,000. Taiwanese, 80,000. Uh, Lebanese, Roughly 70,000, that's more on the upper scale of 70,000. Um, and then you have Chinese, 70,000, Iranian, 70,000. And you have one other group. I can't remember the other group, but so there's, it's more than just one group of people. And it, again, it's not to, to not to discredit. Um, I'm not trying to disregard Hispanics and Blacks. I'm not trying to describe brown and Black because obviously they make less. Uh, our communities do have an average household income of lower. But listing those communities is just to emphasize that well if those communities can do it we can do it too and it's not because they're not white obviously because they're more successful than white people um so that's just kind of more examples i should have listed those in the beginning i've heard people like with libertarian backgrounds say that it's not a race issue like it's not a race inequality it's a a culture inequality um you know if you I've heard people say this, this is not my opinion, but um, I've heard people say, you know, well, the Jews, they went through the Holocaust recently, you know, within the last 100 years and they're prospering like crazy, you know? So um, these people who come from the ancestors or excuse me, the descendants of slaves, 
you know, they should, they should be doing better. And this is what I've heard. And I, and I go, well, I don't know, you know, it's that I, I don't know that you can equate them or that they're apples, you know, and apples or apples and oranges. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a touchy subject for a lot of people because on the one hand you want to, of course, see everyone prosper. You want to see everyone do well, but on the other hand, how do, how do we do that? How do we get there? You know? So uh, yeah, the, the Jews were able to flee to a country that was set up for, like, for them to prosper in though. So I think that also um, the, the common, the common um, words and I guess way of thinking that's pushed it, that minorities are victims. Um, I think that that actually does more damage and it kind of inhibits the success. For example, uh, my dad in, Again, everyone's situation is different, but my dad fits all the statistics. My dad was in an inner city. He's a mixed kid. He's, I mean, I don't have a picture of him, but he's pretty tan. Uh, he's a mixed kid, a single mom, inner city. My grandma actually only got up to a seventh grade education. She picked cotton and vegetables from Texas, segregated. So my dad fit all the statistics for failure. Um, and him and his brother grew up same neighborhood, same environment, everything. His brother's actually adopted. His mom was on drugs. So my grandma took him in and, um, my uncle, uh, got heavily involved in gangs, very heavily involved in gangs. And my dad, uh, he stayed away from that and he made mistakes, a lot of mistakes along the way, but he ended up not going into that lifestyle. So two, two of the people who had almost the same background, same city, same life, went extremely different ways. And, um, and that has a lot to do with personality and self-determination. And so my dad, both of them ended up going to the military and, and changing their lives and they're both good now, but um, it shows that they were in the same environment, fit all the same statistics, but had significantly different outcomes. Yeah. And that is a great message. That honestly is. Um, I hate the victim mentality. I really do. Elizabeth can uh, contest to that. It's something that like, I don't, I can't wrap my mind around. And so um, I can acknowledge that white privilege may exist, but I also can acknowledge that it's been weaponized and being used as a political platform and things like that to where it's, it's there's nothing pure about it. And so like, I love having these type of conversations because I don't, I don't think that the answers for any of this is going to be saved in politically to begin with. And so maybe that might be a decent transition to maybe start talking about some faith stuff, because um, I also know as much as you are passionate about this and, you know, making TikToks, but I've also heard your, your, your testimony and um, sounds like there for a while you were dabbling in the world and getting lured away by all the progressive <laughs> Christianity and the idea that maybe there is no hell and <laughs> something along the way, God brought you back into the fold and put a calling back on your life and a fire back in your soul. So let's, so, so let's, let's talk about that and kind of un un unpack um, what is wrong with living in the gray. Yeah, um, there's actually, and I should have written it down, but in the Bible, it talks about being lukewarm and how being lukewarm is actually a, a worse state to be in. And, um, but for me, like my, I, I grew up in a Christian household with two Christian parents, but it, my 
Christian environment was very different. My parents never forced me to go to church. Uh, I was in middle school when I actually stopped going for a few months and they were like, you know, figured it out on your own. So they never forced me. So I was very fortunate in that way. But, um, but I did, I, I did kind of, I was just in this lukewarm state and, um, and that blurred a lot of my worldview and it significantly impacted because I think when you're in this lukewarm state, you also take for granted God's grace and for me, I had forgotten how much, how much I was in need of a savior. And, um, and again, I think that stems a lot from my upbringing, but um, it, it just really, isn't that a victim deal. mentality? And no, I think that's so different. <laughs> I think that's totally different. I'm just messing though. with you. <laughs> oh, I was like, really? <laughs> no, but but yeah, but I just, it really, um, and I think for me, I had to go through things. I was in a toxic relationship for almost three years and that really, um, had that helped me recognize my need for a savior as well. But also I was, uh, there was a point in my life where, um, I started to kind of blame everything. And that's at the same time I believed in white privilege and everything, Um, I started to blame being a first gen student and not having like uh, I started to blame just I looked for excuses. And for me that I think that that victim mentality developed complacency in my life and also complacency in my spiritual walk. Um, I was so distraught at that time where literally I would break down like I had to walk out of class like I was just not mentally in the best headspace. I didn't see a purpose. I constantly questioned why I was even alive and God not God restored hope and love. And, um, and I, I think, you know, Christianity is a whole nother (laughs) topic to get into. There's flaws and, uh, with people, not so much Jesus. Um, there's not flaws with Jesus. It's more so people that claim to represent him, but, um, God's love lured me in. And again, and, um, my whole view changed my political views all changed as well, but kind of in a nutshell. (laughs) I wonder if, you would have the same political views if if Christianity wasn't a big part of your life. Do you think that it informs your views at all? Um, yes, now. But if I'm being completely honest, um, I think my political views changed. Yeah, my political views changed before my walk with the Lord did. Uh, so I actually came to a realization um, on my stance on white privilege and everything, systemic racism and everything. I changed my mind before I had really kind of, I I don't, before I had rediscovered, I guess, God's love and my need for a savior. So all my political views changed before that. So So that scripture we're talking about was Revelation 3, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Um, Is that did you have like a moment where that scripture just became real and then you understood it all? Or um, was this a process with a mentor? Um, I think for me, probably, well, it was a previous verse that kind of reminded me of that verse. So it was uh, in a totally different section of the Bible, Psalm 139, 8, where it talks about, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in like the depths of hell, you are there. Just talking about never being able to flee God's love and God's presence. And so 
um, again, I was in a state where I felt very distant from God. And so when I read that verse, I realized that God still actively pursues me and God leaves the 99 to find me in my mess. And so then I had started to realize, okay, well, I've grown up in a Christian household. I've always, I've always had a walk with the Lord, but my life's not reflective of that. I'm seeking my approval and I'm seeking validation in a guy instead of who God is and who's God, who God has called me to be. And so that's when I had remembered hearing, um, I think it was my mom when I was younger, hearing her say that verse and that verse just popped into my head. And that's when I started to dive into being lukewarm and all of that. Was he a white guy? <laughs> no, he was Guatemalan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just trying to keep it light. No, um, that's funny. <laughs> trying to keep it white, Chris. No, I, that's not what I said. <laughs> No, I actually sometimes will make jokes with my brother on like when we're talking about Karens and stuff. And uh, my brother and I will sometimes say like, oh, these white people. And we're like, oh, we don't mean it in any bad way. It was just a description. Like I saw TikTok about it. So I sent it to some of my white friends. I have a very weird sense of humor, uh, but they're totally good sports about it. So, yeah, yeah. I think the majority of people are good sports about that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's the outliers uh, where there's these people that are really radical over here and really radical over here that are taking themselves way too seriously uh, yeah. that, that can't laugh about those kind of things. Yeah. I have a friend who's um, he speaks Spanish, like Spaniard Spanish. And uh, I had told Castellano. him, yeah, he has like a lisp when he speaks. And I told him, I was like, I'm just going to call you colonizer. And like, I'm, indig- <laughs> I'm indigenous. So like, it's fine. Like, but he got so offended. He, well, he didn't get offended. He was just like, he was shocked that I said that. I was like, I know you're not a colonizer. I'm just going to call you that. So <laughs> that's funny yeah you can't take yourself too seriously and you have to have a good sense of humor for you know being willing to come on with all of us heathens um and uh this is uh i want to ask some questions around the the faith conversation um to be fair like most of uh, the the three of us like you know we're not going to church tomorrow for easter sunday um we're almost fully deconstructed chris doesn't identify at all with anything with the christian church i um think will always have a connection to it because of the way i was raised i am like like generations of like like pastors in my family and things like that so to this day um well me too but yeah i'm further off the schedule more (laughs) of a disappointment to the family (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I am. I've always been the black sheep, quote unquote. Um, so it, it, no, I was saying I was no, the disappointment. You're fine. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, it worked out good. That's why we we're so good for each other anyway. Um, and actually, it's kind of funny. That's one of the things that saved our marriage is kind of us leaving the church because it was really an abusive situation. And you got to go back and listen to the whole thing. I'm like, it's not about me anyway. But so I'm trying to set this up, though. So I'm not I don't want to attack your faith like i think that like it's important Any for you questions are fine <laughs> for, for, for you prepared to have yeah. like your own like like <laughs> i think if you need a savior you need a savior and that's why i think jesus is good for a lot of there's a lot of hope there's a lot of things in christianity that is good but um you know we were quoting you know the bible i was gonna make gonna make jokes about is that why you know you named your podcast out of context because that's what all, all <laughs> honestly is, partly is, is partly now used and even even the oh. verse about um whole you know spit you out of my mouth because lukewarm is is 
widely used out of context and which is actually kind of funny and it's that because the church of lucia which in the revelations i think or is that am i saying that right is it lucia revelation the, the, the laodicea laodicea thank you i knew i was missing some um so it's so, laodosia oh well there you go <laughs> i don't know get the historian in there I, well, there's, You're some, our there's some syllables that i knew i was missing <laughs> anyway the, the point is that what i do remember about the story is basically that they they made i salve is like the town was known for, for like having making uh, and they had like a hot water spring and a cold water spring that would in, enter into the town and it was like it was able to use that that water in order to make their the ice salve or whatever so in it with it being useless if it was warm it had to have like the temperature properties or whatever it were um were important and so it was one of those times where you use an analogy that that makes sense at at the time uh that now like we try to apply it nowadays and we're thinking that uh, we can't think for ourselves that we have to be quote unquote on fire for jesus a lot of times or you know like but really it's interesting god in that verse it actually says you know being hot is good and being cold is good you know what i mean so it's like so how does that justify, yeah how's that just apply to our faith when god's saying no it's good to be cold for me if if i mean if you use the same logic to say it's only only good to be hot or because lukewarm is the bad thing but we can actually take this a step further um you know you're talking about you know, politics, or we started talking about politics a lot. And we know there's a lot of gray areas in, in that. And it seems like there's a danger in either one of the extremes. You seem, um, you know, pretty open-minded in that, like a lot of libertarians are. Um, But what's wrong with applying that to all aspects of your life? Like, why do we need to have certainty when it comes to the areas of our faith? You know, the Bible never tells us we need to be certain. I think, well, it does tell us we need to be certain, but that's another does, verse. Does it, but, does, does it? Where? <laughs> well, it says to give an answer. I'd love to know that verse. Actually, I just gave it to my friend last night, but because we were talking about being ready to give an answer, uh, Paul is saying, to, sorry, no, I think it's in Peter. I'll pull it up so I don't misquote, but to give an answer uh, every time someone asks you to be ready to have an answer. Um But really quick, a side note about the lukewarm verse. I think I agree with you that it's often uh, taken out of context. I think a lot of Christians sometimes in uh, ones who take verses out of context, like Jeremiah 29, 11, and and I can do all in Philippians, you know, uh, they take those out of, they take those out of con, like, those are not for you. (laughs) Like read the verse before and after, but I can uh, do all things though. Christ told me I can do all things. I saw all means all. So, I mean, hell, I'm. Uh, I saw a meme that said I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Yeah, that's like that's my favorite meme. But that's good. That might have been. I I don't know if we had somebody on our podcast, Julie, who was selling shirts and mugs with that verse on there. I don't know or that. That's right. That thing. And so you might have been. I don't know if she found that someplace else or if she created that. So I just want to give credit to where that's where I, I saw that. So. Nice. Yeah, I think it, and when it comes to the lukewarm verse, I think a lot of Christians kind of take that as, oh, well, you know, it it's for people who are claiming to be a Christian and, and they're not going to church or they automatically pin it towards those people. But that verse is also re- like referring to people who, you know, for example, in uh, I think it's Matthew. 
Matthew 7, 23, it says um, that I will plainly tell them, depart from me. I never knew you uh, depart from me, you evildoers. And those are literally people who, who go up to God after they die and are like, you know, God, I did A, B and C in your name. I was doing this for you. But God's like, I didn't know you. Wouldn't that be the ev- evangelicals? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. um, Well, it's people, it's people who are not, who are not following God's word um, the way we're supposed to, for example, I voted for Trump. So (laughs) I voted for Trump between people who voted for Trump and then like the hardcore cultist, you know, Trumpers. Well, there's people who like worship the dude and I'm like, okay, that's idolatry. Like, you know, he's not God. He's yeah. not God, you know, but I mean, I went to the white house and I heard him speak. Uh, so did you I break mean, into the Capitol building? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Q. I'm not a crazy Q conspiracy theorist. <laughs> no, I, I was invited with a bunch of other minorities. There was like a, a, tons of us, um, but mm, Candace but, Owens is collecting all the minorities so we can make a show. That, that well, we drew, we went over on our own. There's a lot of lies about that. They were like, oh, we got paid. We didn't get paid a cent. Some of us were getting flown from like super ghetto areas. We don't have money for that. But, um, but yeah, so, but I mean, there's, there's people who God clearly says that, you know, and again, a good example is the Pharisees who said that they did all these things in God's name, but they were hypocrites. And so if you are truly a Christian, um, you're going to produce the fruits of the spirit. You are, you're everything you say, your actions are going to follow that. So again, I think that that verse is addressing both people who are not walking with the Lord, who people who even go to church uh, every Sunday, but on Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, their lives don't reflect what they're preaching. So uh, that's just a little note I want to make because I know a lot of people have been hurt by the church, hurt by people who say they're followers of Jesus, but they're not. If they're not following God's word with integrity, they're not a true follower of Christ. So I kind of just want to like throw that in there for anyone who may feel that way. Yeah, Is there that- any room for people who make mistakes? Yes, definitely. Within I the church? Like, yes. So then 100%. what happens if, what what happens if like, we just keep making mistakes. Are we going to be like, we're not following God's word because we keep making mistakes. Like, are we going to be, how, how do we fit into this hot and cold situation? Well, also and my integrity, if, if, and my integrity, where does that come into play too? If, if I am not doing everything that the Bible tells me to do. Yeah. So like none of us can fully follow everything the Bible says, because we have a sinful nature, our fleshly sinful nature. Um, but there's a difference between sinning, making mistakes, and living in habitual sin. And that's what the Bible talks about. And Ecclesiastes 3 and Ephesians, Hebrews is really, Hebrews like really specifies on all of that. But there's a difference between making mistakes and living in habitual sin. A really good example is for me, I screw up every single day um, and I make mistakes every single day. But if there's a sin that I am habitually doing every single day, um, that is, I'm willingly choosing to actively do that. And if I am, if I have God, if I have the Holy spirit, which convicts me, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do the same thing every single day. Um, 
And a good example would be, uh, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but Ravi Zacharias, he lived in habitual sin. He's a terrible person. He was mm-hmm. not a Christian. And uh, that just really gave a black eye to so many people who call themselves Christians. But because- he was a Christian. He was a great apologist who wrote a lot, a lot of books and influenced a lot of people in the in the Christian evangelical world. How is he not a Christian? Because because he made mistakes. He impacted a lot of people for God. And, how, and doesn't well, the Bible tell us I, that we can't decide who's Christian and who's not? Well, we can judge fruit, but like know. there was exactly, and he had a lot, exactly. of, had a lot of good, he had a lot of good fruit and a lot of bad fruit. And then that's why you go into like, t- I know a lot of people who live in habitual sin that have, that show more character of Christ, more Christ-like character. I think that's the one redeeming King David redeeming factor for me about the Bible is Jesus and like just Jesus's words in life, I think has nothing to do with like what modern day Christianity looks like at all. And, but as far, and so you have people who aren't living in the church whatsoever that are, are showing like way more Christ-like behavior than most of the people that I, I, I lived my entire life growing up in church and church leadership. And, and I, I, it's full of Pharisees um, more. So, I mean, you have a lot of people who are, genuine and pure in heart but those are the ones that normally are being abused by the system the system shoes up those people and lives off those people and feeds off those people and pays the bills with those people that are true blue believers and then like the people who are most of when they're running the show still in power old and white which does well white privilege not existing like like (laughs) exists very well in the american evangelical church like it's Mm. privilege and so it's it's all anyway but like that for me that's why i think it all breaks down and it's so hard for me to leave any creed to to stuff like that when it's like it has nothing to do with what we consider a quote-unquote sin and then to say that like we're inherently sinful beings and just learn to like dislike ourselves and and like and, and i i know chris was messing with you but i mean that is one of my triggers about christianity like i do think that it, that is a victim mentality and i don't i don't know how there's much of a difference in- well i think that also like it's important to note that like the bible does say in psalms that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you mentioned david and david Uh, He screwed up royally, right? He had an affair. He killed someone. He was terrible. But God still called him a man after his own heart because he did repent and his son died. And that was his consequence was his son died. But he didn't keep living in that habitual sin. He repented. But I think that it is important uh, to note that it's James, James 1, 5. But what is sin? I believe. Like that's the whole thing. It's so relative. Like, sin like, is just it's disobeying it's disobeying what god's word is called us to do it's it's missing the mark it's um not being obedient i think also it's john but if, two, but if we don't and and, and what, if we don't and, and do what stuff that the bible god, is telling us to which do which denomination of god are we supposed to follow and obey right because like how do we know which scripture we're supposed to follow because there's all the verses in ephesians about what women's roles are within the church context and be silent wench exactly um (laughs) so where does where does um any historical context come into that where what where 
how does cultural, how does culture come into that? How does, what are we supposed to use? What are we, sorry, I'm getting triggered. Yeah. I'm, I apologize. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's totally okay. I had those same questions myself. Um, so just really quick and then I'll, I'll respond to that. Um, and again, this just, is why I preferenced like when we start getting into this, like our stuff is not against you. <laughs> But you're saying things that no, we, yeah, it's fine. I, I have said and believed before that like yeah. has broken down for me. Yeah. And so like it's like I I can't even with it. I have to address yeah. it. <laughs> no worries. It's like it's a, one thing that you guys should know about me is like it I it takes a lot for me. I know I come off pretty intense in my TikTok videos, but like it takes a lot for me to get upset. So like don't worry. I know it's nothing personal. Um, but First, just really quick, First John 2, 4 says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And the truth is referring to Jesus. And so I just wanted to like quickly throw in that verse because that's why I say Ravi Zacharias isn't a Christian. He may be, a, you know, he studied theology, but his actions is clear that Jesus was not in him because he was living that way. But I just kind of want to throw that. But, how, how, there, but, but then what do you do with Trump? Is Trump a Christian? I, I never, you will never catch me saying that Trump's a Christian. Like that is, I'm not one of those people who will be like, Trump is a Christian. I know his personal, I don't know his personal life. I don't know what he does on his free time. I can't say that he's a Christian. I can't say he's not a Christian because I don't know what he's doing on his free time. You know, that's just not that I'll, I won't, but, be we, but we do know that. like, you know, a lot of things he says and a lot of the literature that he kind of portrays, but we're, but it seems like willing to say that Rappi Zacharias wasn't a Christian, but not willing mm -hmm. to say whether Trump is or isn't. And I think that there's enough of his character to show that like, like I don't mean, I think if, if I mean, I think they both can be as far as what everybody else is showing me, like what a Christian, you know, like is, I mean, don't you just have to believe and be accepted? I think I could, I, I can agree with you halfway there uh, that just like I, I'm saying, you know, Ravi Zacharias isn't a Christian because of his actions. Uh, Trump is very arrogant and prideful. And I think a lot of, of his words have been taken out of context, especially when it's referring to minorities. But in regards to his salvation, um, you have to produce those fruits. So I can't. I can't like defend the dude, if that makes sense. Right. You know, it, yeah, if, like you if his actions are reflecting. Exactly. Yeah. So so definitely. Yeah, I, I can agree with you there. I am so far removed from the Bible uh, that I forget things. Um, did does the Bible talk about a love of money being the root of all evil? Is that from the Bible? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's Trump's fruit, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Well, most evangelical Christianity because it, right. it has to run off of money, and so it becomes its god. Yeah, because it's like afraid to lose support. Kenneth Copeland, you, you know, is to, a good example. People in the fucking pews. And yeah. if you don't have people in the pews, then you're going to lose your church. That's just the mm -hmm. way, unfortunately, it, it goes. And so that's your God. I think, um, I'm so sorry, Elizabeth. I'd like totally asked a question and then I totally like said, I said the verse and then I forgot, but uh, really quick in, in regards to Ephesians and, and women um, not speaking and all that. So that verse is refer referring to the order of the church and um, Timothy talks about it too. And so a lot of modern day Christians um, use that to talk about women not being pastors and being the order. And that's not to say women can't teach. I teach at my church. I'm just not a pastor and I don't teach over men. Um, so that's just the biblical order that the church calls us to follow. Um, and yeah, 
So and that kind of goes back to the man, the man being the leader of the household and stuff. What, um, what's your denomination that you are grew up in and are working with church wise right now? I'm, I'm non-denominational. Yeah. So I'm non-denom just follow the Bible. Um, for me, I've actually, I, I was learning about, I have a lot of friends who went through the whole re, re uh, like de- deconstruction of their faith and then reconstruction and everything. Um, and then I started to learn a lot about reformed theology and that answered a lot of my questions um, to all of those questions that my friends were asking, but, uh, but yeah, non-denominational in, in short term. Gotcha. I, you know, and I wonder, like I said, I'm no longer a Christian, so I don't really, it doesn't really pertain to me, but to kind of like go along with what Elizabeth was asking, you know, in the context of when the Bible was talking about women being silent in the church, you know, I wonder how that plays out in context to today's culture when we're way more egalitarian uh, than they were back then. Like, is that something that can be changed? Uh, Is that something that, um, you know, the church should kind of look into letting women be leaders in the church and preach from the pulpit? Yeah, I think, well, it's first, I should say, it's not a matter of salvation. That's really important to say. Um, If there is a woman pastor, she's not going to go to hell for being a woman pastor. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that she will be held accountable. And that's between her and and God. Um, I know a lot of women pastors that don't agree with it, but I know a lot of them. So it's not a matter of salvation. Um, Someone's not, it's, that's not a tenet of salvation. Um, And I think a lot of people kind of, they think it is. It's like, no, it's not. Um, But it's a habitual sin though. If it's going against the Bible. it's, uh, no, because it's not, um, when the Bible's talking about the order of the church, it also talks about deacons. It also talks about different functions and roles of the church. And so when it's talking about the roles and the character of the church, that, that's when it mentions that women shouldn't be pastors. So again, it's not a, it, it's not a sin. And that's, that's where it's one of those, I, I don't want to use the word gray. Cause I think it's like that. I don't want to. I don't want to leave it open-ended, but that's one of the things where um, everyone will be account- accountable for their own actions. And the Bible even says, work out your own faith with fear and trembling. So I do, the Bible is against it, but you know, I'm, they're going to be judged according to their own actions. If that makes sense. I hope that kind of makes sense. Would you say then that it's kind of like something that God says, Hey, this is the best practice. It's not like sin, but this is the best practice for women just to be quiet in the church. Well, again, it's not to be entirely quiet. It's just not to be a pastor, like the role of shepherding the church. Um, gotcha. But because c- again, once again, I've, I've taught on several occasions. I'm just, I help out with the youth and with college age, yeah. but, um, but that's the order that God tells us to follow. And that's what I believe is biblical and what we should be following but it's when I say matter of salvation, salvation is just that you repent of your sins, that you believe in Jesus and that you follow him. And so those are the, the three things that is vital to salvation. So when I say it's not a matter of salvation, that's what I mean, that it's not a requirement. So, you know, who should be silent? Uh, and of course, that would be all of the politicians trying to pander and speak Spanish. 
Uh, uh, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I saw your TikTok with the Jill Biden. Um, si se puede way or whatever she said. She was like, si se puede way. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a country or something. It's not that hard. I mean, a lot of my white friends are, you know, they don't have the accent, but they can say like, si se puede. Like, right. not, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh God, that was gold. I loved it. I, I was so excited to see that. I, I'm a big critic of the left i think the left are they've gotten really ridiculous as far as wokeism and and you know all that stuff it's it's essentially a, a religion is what it is if you don't live by our morals you know you're going to be canceled or you know thrown into hell or however you want to call it uh and you know i feel like there's plenty of critique for the right uh for the extreme right as well um mm-hmm. uh, you know and but they get it they the, the mainstream media of course gives them the critique uh, and and leaves the left to you know just bask in their glory over there. So anyhow, I, I appreciate a nuanced view of those things. And and for anyone who's listening, I mean, I hope I'm not cutting any Omar or Elizabeth off by wrapping up here. But no, I knew this was going to happen. Like yeah. it, it's it's a great conversation. There's yeah. so many different directions we can go. I mean, I knew we were going to run into things that like we like completely disagree on, but there was a lot of stuff that like like we did. This is this has been beautiful. But I knew that we were going to get to a point where there was more that we wanted to talk about and we just had to wrap. So, yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to do a part two or something for sure. This, this was so fun. I, I was so excited to come on your podcast. I, I always tell people my favorite people to talk to are those more on the left. So thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. <laughs> Hopefully you feel respected okay. and like, you know, honored. Yes. Even though like uh, it was, it, it's, it's not it's a rare any It's a rare it's rare anymore, which is unfortunate to be have conversations like this yeah. um, in in 2021, and and not to get to where like somebody's just gonna completely cancel somebody because they don't agree with their opinions or or put, and that's I mean I think we all have to work through our own biases and then the listeners if they made it through the episode I'm sure had to do the same thing as well with themselves <laughs> you know to where you start hearing somebody talk and it, and not just not just mute it in your head because you've heard that before you know i mean everybody wants Mm -hmm. to but it's like but we have to be able to if we want to be heard we have to be willing to to listen and hear the opinion that we may not agree with and then and and be willing to say hey i do it i like i I can find common ground there and i think that's what we're all wanting i think at the end of the day is to to be heard so absolutely now you you can wrap chris and you can hear noelle on her podcast called out of context uh, and also over at her TikTok, uh, Noelle, do you want to promote yourself? Where else are you at? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm on TikTok, but I've been mainly focusing on Instagram. All platforms are Noelle Fitch, N-O-E-L-L-E, and then Fitch. Uh, so literally everything, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all Noelle Fitch. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks yes, for thank having you. me. All right. Let's see. How do I end this thing? End live. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was a good heart out anyway. So, yeah, wow. We- Noel, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was so much yeah. fun. And I hope you all felt respected as well. I know yeah. that like a lot of people oh, yeah. who like leave the faith have a lot of hurt too. So I never want to like come off as a know-it-all or abrasive or insensitive. So no, I, I hope and, that- no, we're good. And let me address okay. that too, because that's always seems to be, that's a, uh, almost a trigger for me because it seems to like a lot of times because I was like a pastor basically um mm-hmm. leadership in church and stuff and I that was 
what we always said, you know, is like, oh, they're just offended, you know? And so then you want to write them off because it's like, oh, well, they're just hurt people, hurt people. And so, so they're hurt offended where there's like, no, well, maybe they are hurt for a reason, you know, but like, yeah. as far as like, I'm concerned, I can't speak for Elizabeth, but like, I've worked through, like, I have zero like issues with like anybody in any of this, but I have, what I have an issue with and I, and is the system as a whole, I think is, mm-hmm. is not Christianity. You know, it's like, it, it, mm-hmm. we've bought into something else. It's, it's, it's capitalism. It, it, it's, it's driven on money. It's driven on power. We're putting the wrong people on the platform because they're charismatic and not because of character. There's, there's all kinds I agree of, with you so, there. so there's this whole thing that that's happening. And then it's like almost talking about like the police force. You, you have people that are going to protect, they feel like they have to protect the church. And so then you're, you're put in a situation where you're making immoral choices because you're thinking, Oh, it's a good, greater good sort of thing. And, um, I think, and this is where it's all kind of broke down for me. I think that God's bigger than that. I think Jesus is bigger than that. I think Jesus' message was bigger than what we limit to now. I think that the Bible has its, has its place, but it's not God. It's, mm-hmm. it's an ancient scripture, it's an ancient book that was written by people. They may, have been in, they may have been inspired by God, but they were people. And so it could have been flawed. It's been, it's been interpreted through other people who weren't even Christian, you know, we can come about King James version, which just used a whole lot. So anyway, I'll, I don't know why I'm getting on the soapbox. I feel like there was a point that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. <laughs> now. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was fun talking with you. I'm not going to try to finish that point. Cause I can like, go on, I can go on forever. <laughs> I, like, lost. Yeah. I agree with you in terms of like, it, it's money driven and capitalistic. And I think that has to do with prosperity gospel. And I see, especially being here in LA, I see a lot of churches like that. I'm very, my church is flawed. We're all messed up, but I'm very fortunate to have a church. We don't even receive um, offering. We don't, we don't ask people for it. We tell them if you want, you can donate on the website. We don't collect any kind of money, which I'm really thankful because I know most churches do. And that's like the center around their church. I'm like, that's so bad. Like Jesus flip tables. Don't, don't do that to people. So, but yeah, I can agree with you there. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it's, cool. It's a, all business and numbers drive everything, you know, and, and it's yeah. like if I'm not reaching these numbers and I'm not successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is sad. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like podcasting too. So just welcome to the game. <laughs> <laughs> 